as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you are a partaker in Christ's sufferings. That when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as, an, as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner. Let's pray. Father, we bless you and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. One of uh, the things that the brothers don't always like to say when being totally transparent and when there's total disclosure is that some things terrify us. Brothers don't have to say amen. But one of the things that really caused me to shake in my boots was when I graduated from high school and got promoted graduated from junior high school and got promoted to high school. The land of the giants and tigers and bears. Oh my. I started high school in the 10th grade at Simon Gratz in Philadelphia. It was the first time ever that I had to take public transportation to go to school. Because of overcrowding, they had two separate shifts. And so the 10th and the 11th graders were given the early arrival time. And of course, the 12th graders got to sleep a little longer. Whenever I could, there was a brother in the hood that traveled to school with me. We'd catch the bus together, sit together, because we didn't want anybody to think that we weren't traveling with somebody, that someone had our backs, because we were really spooked about going to high school. Now, on the first day of my arrival at Simon Gratz, I noticed something when I got off the bus. All of the 10th graders that went through the main entrance were being padded down by the 11th graders as they made their, they weren't greeted by smiling teachers. These are 11 graders that were frisking the 10th graders and taking their lunch money. 
So when I saw that, I decided I'm not going through those doors. The only option was to travel to the back of Simon Gratz and enter the building, which was a longer walk. And uh, my friend, he decided he gonna take his chances. I went through the back door. And for weeks, he would have his lunch money stolen by 11th graders. Come lunchtime, he begging for my lunch. All he had to do is to grow through what he had gone through. I want you to understand something. Until you grow through what you're going through, the devil is going to continue to take your lunch. <laughs> He's going to continue to wreck your marriage. Same argument, same date, same time, same facial expressions that triggered you into mental insanity. You are going to continue to be addicted and in bondage to drugs, to cigarettes, to alcohol, to pornography, chasing skirts. You will continue, if you don't grow through what you're going through, continue to get involved with the same kind of men who say they love you. If you let me, you'll show me your love, and you let them, and they leave you. Until you get to a place where you recognize that you don't have to allow the devil to continue to have victory over you, you will live in defeat. How many divorces do you need to experience? How many times do you need to get fired from your job while blaming them before you figure out that God has allowed what you have been experiencing to teach you something that will cause you to change. But God is not just interested in you changing momentarily because change is temporal. But what God is about, he says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. God wants to make you brand new from the inside out so that you're no longer who you used to be in your flesh. But he wants to transform you, to turn, to, 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 to cause you to be permanently metamorphosized, to become like Christ. You need to grow through what you're going through. You're going to keep going through it that revolving door until you finally decide that I'm getting off of the treadmill of life and going to allow the Lord to teach me what it is I need to learn. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19, the apostle Peter gives us instructions on how to grow through, grow through what we're going through. And he shares four directives that will help us to successfully 
navigate in such a way in our personal lives that we will begin to experience what Jesus said. He said, I have come. I know others have come, but I have come that you may have life and that you may experience it more abundantly, that you may fully continue in an increasing way to experience the pleasure and the joy that God intended for you. God does not just want you to go through suffering. He wants you to grow through your suffering. Somebody say amen. Amen. Now, when we come to chapter 4 in 1 Peter, the year is 64 AD. The emperor is Nero, who reminds me of a leader that we all love and cherish. He had psychotic issues. He was neurotic. Nero had actually ordered for the city of Rome, major parts of it, to be set on fire. And for nine days, the city of Rome, the great city of Rome, burned, and the emperor did not get permission for the fires to be put out. In fact, he instructed the soldiers to stop anyone who was putting the fires out and to, when the fire stopped in one area of the city, to start new ones. You see, Nero wanted to rebuild Rome so that it would be his accomplishment. And so what, it didn't matter to him whatever it took to build the wall, whatever it took to rebuild Rome by any means necessary, Nero was willing to do it. And so when people begin to question who was responsible and how could this be happening and turn on the emperor, he pointed the finger at Christians. And Christians became the easy target for persecution And so many Christians became the victims of horrendous acts of horror. Thousands were used as human torches, tar and feathers put on Christians and set on fire. Christians sawn in half. Christians uh, uh, by people being placed inside of animal skins and then turn loose for vicious, hungry predators to devour Christians who were alive while large crowds said, make America, while large crowds (laughs) (laughs) cheered, cheered for more blood. And so it's understandable that When you become a Christian, you make your decision to follow Jesus. You don't expect to be fed the lions. You don't expect to become a human torch. You don't expect to watch your children murdered in front of your eyes. And so the Christians were beginning to to desert the faith. They were beginning to doubt 
if, if, if God was really for them. And, and so he says, in the words that we're going to be looking at, that what God wants us to do is to understand that, one, we are in spiritual warfare. This world is not the Christian's home. You are in the army now. The moment you trust Christ, you become a part of God's army. We are in enemy's territory, and that's why you are hated. That's why we go through the things that we go through. And so he shares four things that will help you when you're going through, when tough things happen, when you don't understand, you're, you're scratching your head, you feel like giving up, you're angry, you want to give somebody a beat down, not always physically, but if you could just say what you're thinking. Peter says, here's what we should do when you're being led to the lion's den. He says in verse 12, he says, are you with me? Verse 12, he says, Beloved, do not think it's strange concerning fiery trials. Don't be surprised. So the first thing that you, if you're going to grow from what you're going through is to expect things to happen. Expect it. Say expect it. Problems are a part of everyday life. Tough times should not surprise us. Just because you're saved, your bills don't get wiped out. You've been drinking all your life. You don't get a new kidney now that you're saved or a new liver. You're going to have to live with the old one. And so the first thing he says, don't be surprised that you're going through. Now you're going to church and you're reading your Bible and you're praying and you gave your first tithe. Expect that you're going to go through. Notice who Peter is speaking to. He says, beloved. That's a very tender term, and the apostle Peter is actually speaking to the dispersed, the, the scattered believers as if he is their personal pastor, and he says, you are greatly loved. You are precious in my sight, and so he's talking to believers, and it's great to know that you have a pastor who loves you. But it's more important to know that no matter what you're going through, you are the beloved of God. You see, the first thing that comes to our mind when, when things happen is that we're surprised. Why is this happening? How could this be? I just got this car fixed. I just uh, uh, paid that bill, and, 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 and now the, the air conditioning broke down. We're, we're surprised. He said, don't be surprised. But in your being Stunned by this, we question, does God really love me? I've been praying for a husband, and this lady's been doing everything under the sun to get a man. She's been married four times. I haven't been married the first time. Does God? Does he love me? Is God angry with me? He must be angry because these things wouldn't be happening. I wouldn't be sick. My, I've been praying for healing. Why am I not well? And so when we are surprised, when we don't expect that trials are going to come, difficulties are going to come, we will question what Peter makes very clear from the outside. He says, beloved, you are the very precious ones of God. You are highly favored to God. 
You need to understand that in spite of everything that God knows, there's not a secret, there's not a dark place, there's not a cell phone call you've ever had, a text message you've ever written, an Instagram you've ever seen, an un a lewd picture you've ever sent that God didn't see it before you sent it. But in spite of everything that he knows about you, Paul reminds us, he says, nothing shall separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. That means that Jesus loves you more than mama loves you or daddy loves you. So as I'm expecting to go through Never question God's love. God loves you. But someone has said that God's love is not a pampering love. It's a perfecting love. <laughs> he who began a good work in you is performing it until the day of redemption. God wants you to grow up. He, he wants you to live right, not feel right. It's not a pampering love. It's not a, 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 a bubbly, googly. No, 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 no. He, it's a tough love to get you to that place in your walk where you're actually becoming more like Jesus. Now, what kind of problem should you expect? He said, don't be shocked. Expect fiery trials. Fiery trials is not a bad hairdo. Look, oh, it ain't going to work. This is ridiculous. I paid all this money for this weave. And I, I just can't understand. I can't. Your whole week is wrecked. Fiery trials is not an argument about, is Chick-fil-A's chicken sandwich better than Popeye's? I'm not going back to that church. Nobody spoke to me. Who did you speak to? But fiery trials, the term literally means a, a, a furnace of intense heat that, that is so hot that it melts metal and it takes away the dross. It takes away the impurities. He said, don't be surprised when your life goes through fiery trials, through the furnace. Because God is trying to burn away, take things away. You can't fly until there's things that are removed that would hold you back. God wants you to soar, but in order for you to soar, you're going to go through some trials fiery trials. You done trained somebody and as soon as you get finished training, then they fire you and give the person your job. She said she was your best friend. Now she's married to your husband and living right across the street. You shared things in confidence with someone and now all the things that you shared with them when you were going through are on Facebook and Twitter and everybody's talking about your personal life. I'm talking about fiery trials. Everybody done seen your body then because they done, you sent it to somebody and they decided to let their friends see what they saw. Fiery trials. 
I'm talking about watching helplessly as, as a loved one who is terminally ill and, and, and the elders have prayed and the anointing has occurred, but your loved one doesn't get better and that loved one happens to be a child. Fiery trials. You can expect to go through difficult times. I want you to understand something about the Christian life. We don't grow the most when things are going the best. We spend more time on our knees. We can't wait to get to Bible study. We can't wait to open up our Bibles when the fire of the furnace of trials is on us. I want you to know that whatever you're going through right now, God is using the fire to cause you to come to a place where you can begin to now walk in his will, accomplish his goal, reach your destiny. But you're not going to reach your destiny when you're hanging on to things that are not like him. When your ways are not his ways and your thoughts are not his thoughts. And so the kind of trials you're going to go through will be fiery trials. I know what they said on TV, name it and claim it, and by his stripes you're healed, and I know she's married, but pray for that man, and it'll be, he'll be your. God never said that. If you decide to live a godly life, 1 Timothy 3, verse 18 says, you will suffer persecution. I want you to, if you're going to be a real man, our problem today, we've raised a bunch of children that can't take nothing. They can't, you look at them funny and they go jump over the bridge. But if you're going to live for Jesus, you've got to be willing to go through the furnace. Now, why does God throw us into a fiery furnace? Why does he allow trials to come in the, into the life of believers? It says to test you. To See, some of us think we all that in a bag or whatever until you're going through. God is good all the time. God is good until you step outside the door of the church. And so God will allow you to go through struggles and difficulties and, 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 and the same battle again and again to test you, to develop you, to perfect you, to bring you to a place of maturity. Trials of life are not, to, are, are not only to refine you, but to show you your quality of faith. When I went to Dallas seminary, I want to say this right. You're not supposed to say you hate anything. But there was one class that I strongly disliked. It could, if, if I was talking from the flesh perspective, I would say I hated this class. See, on the first day the teacher got on my nerve. He got on the wrong side of me. He said, I just want everyone to know that our class meets three times a week, and we have a quiz every single class. 
and I randomly will call you by name to come to the board to translate Greek to translate English to Greek. Now you can it's easier to translate Greek to English, but he, this this joker And so every, for three nights in a row, along with all your other courses, you had to get ready for the quiz. You had to be sitting in that chair, I mean, literally hoping to God, please, man, don't call my name. Don't, don't, don't put me out there like that. Now, why I, I didn't like the idea of quizzes. There was something about knowing I'm going to be tested. It kept me sharp, kept me studying, kept me focused, kept me depending, kept me humbling, kept me praying. And so I want you to get, so when you, when, you became, when you become a Christian, what you, what you need to understand is you signed up for a course called Testing Through Trials. And, and, and every time you go through a test, it puts you in a position where you have to depend on the Lord to help you to succeed. And so when, you, when you're going through, just understand that the Lord allowed it. And the purpose of what you're going through right now is that he is testing your faith to show you where you need to grow so that you can become more like him. Somebody say amen. And so, expect trouble. Some God said when he got married, he just, he, he knew that he had married the most perfect woman in the world until she cooked her first meal. They both were sick for a week. Now, she blamed it on the pots, new pots. But the second week of, of food didn't taste much better than the first week, even after the pots had been broken in. I want you to understand there are no perfect people. There are no two people who want to do the same thing the same way, the same time all of the time. We have a sin nature, and God will test us to show us where we need to grow. And so if you're going through right now, if you feel like throwing up your hands, if you're saying they about to make me lose my mind up in here, up in here, back away and say, Lord, I expect to be tested. I expect to fight. I don't think it, I don't expect it to be easy. But you're trying to develop me through testing. Now, he also said, here's the second thing that we need to do when you're going through. Anybody going through anything right now? If not, just keep on for a little longer. You will be. Enjoy the process in spite of the pain. Say, enjoy it. Enjoy. Verse 13, 14, but rejoice to the extent that you are a partaker of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are a reproach in the name of Christ, bless, bless, rejoice. See that? Glory, celebrate, for the spirit of glory of God rests upon you. On their part, they blaspheme, but on your part, he is glorified. 
Now, what should you do instead of being surprised when problems come? He says, keep on rejoicing. Wait a minute. Now, no, no, no. How are you going to rejoice when your body's racked with pain? How are you going to rejoice when that wayward prodigal child didn't come home again? And when they did, they got another tattoo. This time it's on their tongue. Can you get a tattoo on your tongue? <laughs> don't try. Don't, if, if you can't, don't, you don't have to try. You don't have to be the first one. How are you going to rest when you don't know where he or she is? That same sweet little kid you brought to Sunday school and, and everybody talked about how pretty and handsome he was and you just said, Lord, give me a son. And now you're saying, Lord. He said, keep on rejoicing. Enjoy the process. Say, enjoy the process. Enjoy the, process. the Greek word that he's talking about, he's saying, have an inward contentment. Have a bubbling excitement. Have a jubilation in the midst of whatever you're going through. Not because of the pain, but because of what God is going to accomplish through the pain when you submit. Let me say that again. I can rejoice. Because in the midst of what I'm going through, I understand that when I get on the other side, I'm going to look back. I'm not going to wonder how I got over. I'm going to find myself throwing up my hands and say, look what God did again. I didn't know how I was going to get through. I cried myself to sleep every night. I thought I was all alone. But now I understand that God was using what I was going through uh -huh. to show me how good he is. Yeah. And so when he says, when he says rejoice and be content and, and jubilant, the idea is in anticipation of what God is going to show you about himself through what you're going through. Somebody say, Amen. Now, let me go a little further into why you should rejoice in the time of trouble. There are three reasons. He says, when I am going through testing and difficulties and problems, stuff that work my nerves because of the sake of my relationship with Jesus, he says, you become a participant in his suffering. And so say participation. And so when I am rejoicing, I can celebrate because now I am identifying myself as someone who belongs to Jesus. He suffered, and that's why I'm suffering. If I wasn't connected to him, I wouldn't be going through this. And so participation says I identify with him. Participation and sharing in his suffering says I understand a little better about the grace that it took to save me, how he was able to look beyond my faults and still hang there on the cross and, and take the pain and the suffering and, and say, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so when, you, when, when you're participating in his suffering, you have a, a better appreciation of what Jesus did for you. Now, 
I did not pledge seriously when I was in college. They had a freshman dog line. It was like to prepare you to be a Q or a Kappa or an Alpha. So if you wanted to test it out, you went for this week. And uh, for this first week, of your, you, you're kind of getting a sense of what it would be like to pledge. They whoop my butt every night. They would get the largest sneaker, the size of the little guy in charge of the dog line. He had a 17 and a half foot. And they would take that 17 and a half foot, and we'd have to bend over. And if, he got, if we got three, he got six. And of course, you're not, you, you, want to, you want to share in his suffering. He ain't going through that on his own. I'm going to dog. I'm going to be. I'm going to be. I'm going to be a doggy or whatever you got to be called at the end of this thing. <laughs> and then, and then you'd have to put your hands behind your back, and then the big brothers could come and bow you with their elbow until they until somebody dropped. Then you get to be blindfolded and walk on trolley train tracks at midnight, and you can hear the train or walk through the creek. Yeah, oh man, I was really getting ready to be a cue. But what I experienced didn't come close to what a true pledgee goes through to be a Q. So you have to be willing to share in the suffering with the Qs that have gone before you. You've got to become a participant in. And so for six to eight weeks, they get to tear your natural backside up. You get your head shaven, your beard taken off, you wear dirty clothes every day. You clean the big brother's room and, and, and get their lunch and give them your lunch. You don't get to study most of the time. You stay up to 3 and 4 o'clock in the morning. And guess what? Most of the guys don't drop because they want to be a participant in what it takes to be identified to the world that I'm a Q. And then after, this, after you get, when you get to the last part of pledging, they have what is called Hell Week. So it's already been terrible. Now, it's not as bad now because you can go to jail for some of the stuff that they used to be able to do. So during hell week, I mean, that whatever they wanted, some of the horrible things, if you talk to, we can't tell you, we, we cues and it was more the secrecy and because we're part of that brotherhood. Now, so now once you finally go over, you're a cue dog. You, you, you go from just being a pledgey, now you're a dog, you're a cue dog. And you're universally cute. But you, you, you want to go beyond that. Wait a minute. I, I want everybody to know I'm a cute. Now, you take your shirt off and say, brand me. Take a hot branding iron and burn the symbol of Q into your arm. In spite of you talking about wanting to identify, wanting to be recognized by, going to joint suffering, that's what a pledge is willing to do to be connected to something that's temporal, that will not give you any heavenly reward. And so what, Paul, what the writer is saying in Peter said, when you are willing to go through for Jesus' sake, you are willing to suffer. You're willing to take it on, take on whatever life brings to you, even when there's a hell in your week. Somebody say Amen. I don't want to offend any Qs or Alpha or Caps, Kappas, but if you're willing to do that for a fraternity, why can't you read your Bible? Why can't you get to church? I, last I know, no Q hung on the cross for me. No Kappa died and stayed in the grave for three days for me. 
but to participate in. You're willing to go through the pain. If you want to be a joy participant in what Jesus has done for us, you are willing to go through. Now, now, now there's also something else. You become, so we're talking about participation. Say participation. Second word is impartation. So here, here's the impartation stuff. He's, as you are, the reason I can rejoice in the process is that he says, when his glory is revealed, you will also be glad and, and exceedingly joy. Stay with me. He said, you'll, you'll be reproached for Jesus' name. He said, blessed are you because the spirit of glory rests upon you. The spirit, say spirit of glory. Whenever the Bible talks about the spirit of glory or glory, it's talking about the presence of God. And he says, what happens when I'm going through, no matter how dark it is, that the spirit of glory is present. The special, you are not alone. The presence of God is with you. And they said, and it rests upon you. And so not only do you have the presence of God, you have the peace of God while you're going through. And so you're able to rejoice. Somebody say, I can rejoice. I can rejoice. Let me run on. Enjoy the process. Enjoy the process. I'm not telling you something that I haven't gone through. I'm not telling you something that I fought against. I'm telling you about my own experiences when I'm going through something that I don't think is fair. When, I, when the light finally comes on, I can enjoy that God is up to something. I can enjoy the fact that he's with, his presence is there and his peace is there. The third thing is that transformation. God will take whatever you've gone through, your tragedy, what should have wiped you out, what should have destroyed you, what was intended to kill you. God will take your tragedy and make it your testimony. He'll take your scars and make them into stars. What was intended for evil, what God will do, he will take that and transform you. Now when people see you, they can't understand. How are you still standing? How can you still smile? How can you forgive what they did to you? Because you've been transformed. God has taken what was done against you, and now he's using it as a launching path for you to go into your destiny. Amen. Amen. Transformation, impartation of his presence, of his peace. Participation. Let's, and let me give you this real quick. When you're going through, expect it, enjoy it, evaluate it. Say evaluate it. He said, let none of you suffer as an evildoer, as a busybody. You need to ask three questions when you're going through. Lord, is there sin in my life? Is there something that, because the Bible says, I chasten those who I love. So you may have something in your life that God wants to deal with, and the only way that he can get our attention sometimes is to put us on our backs. So the question is, Lord, show me an area in my life that's not pleasing to you. Ask that question. Somebody say, I don't want to ask that question. Then the second thing it said, the Bible says, instead of reacting, he says, give honor to God when you're going through. So the second question you need to ask is, Lord, how can I honor, how can I glorify you in this? How can I let people see that I belong to you? 
My mother is dying, but we, unlike that next room, they don't have any hope, but I got hope. I got Jesus. I'm crying, but I'm looking forward to the fact that my mom is going to heaven. How can you glorify the Lord through whatever you're going through right now? Is how you respond in glorifying God? So I'm going to evaluate as I'm going through. Can, I get, can God get glory out of this? Can God get glory out of this? Here's the third and final question. What is the eternal perspective that God wants us to have? He says, judgment is coming, and it starts at the household of God. There's a future ramification on what I'm doing. And so the question is, Lord, how can I look at what I'm going through from your eyes to see it from the eternal and not from the temporal? Because we're going to respond in our emotions in the temporal. But if we respond to the eternal by seeing it from God's point of view, that there's a future reward. There's nothing that you do for God that goes unnoticed. The question, Lord, what are you trying to develop in me? That's what I had to have to say. When something just wipes you out and breaks your heart and you don't understand, why did God allow this? How could this happen? How could something be so, so well intended and now it's twisted? The question is, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? And sometimes what the Lord is trying to teach me is, why did you do what you did? Was your motive right? Somebody say amen. amen. We're moving right along. We're moving right along. We're almost done. And so enjoy the process. Expect to go through. Evaluate what you're going through by asking those questions. And then finally, establish a firm commitment to do what's right even when you're being done wrong. He says, therefore, let, tho let those who suffer according to the will of God suffer according to you in the will of God, but you're suffering. According to God, commit your souls to him in doing what? Right in the verse, right, doing good as to the creator, to, as to a faithful creator. And so as I'm going through, I'm going to make, an, I'm going to establish, a, I'm going to stand on a commitment that no matter what it is that I'm going through, even if it's well, if it's evil intended, I am going to do good. Yeah. Because the question is, are you in the will of God in the situation? You pray, Paul prayed three times that the thorn in his flesh would be removed. Whatever that was, I think it was a physical illness, and he said, I prayed, and God said, his answer was, now I'm not removing it. He said, but I want you to understand, my grace is sufficient. Yeah. And that my strength is perfected when you're weak. And so Paul said, get, wait, 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 wait. Then if you're going, to get, you're going to get glory and your strength is going to come greater when I'm weak and when I can be humble. Well, he said, I would much rather be weak. I would much rather be without. So that when I am without and when I'm weak, you are, on, you are, you are most manifested. Your power is most seen. I was reading a sermon yesterday on the same passage as part of preparation. And the guy who did the, wrote the sermon, the only thing he wrote about himself, he said, my name is Robin. So I'm trying to chase down, who is this guy? What are his He said nothing at all about himself. 
Now this was, I was like, man, this guy had to be a Dallas Seminary. There's no way. He, the people he quoted, and, and it just blew me away that this guy could put in that kind of work. My sermon's like 10 pages. This guy, like 19, 20 pages of sermon. I'm saying, man, I know he must be wiping some folks out. But I'm saying, he did all of that excellent work and never at one time, even at the end of the work, sought any credit. He just put his first name. Could you do that? Nobody know that you did all that work and be okay with that? Before he was in the will, be sure. He said, make sure it's according to the will of God. He said, then commit your soul, commit your future to the Lord, entrust your future to him. Take you can't make this work. You can't make your life right. Surrender to the Lord. When you're going through, make a decision, Lord, I'm entrusting, I'm depositing, I'm cashing out to you. I'm surrendering to you. Some of us have never made that commitment. You've been, you've been saved, but you've never surrendered. You've never been broken. You've never been stripped. You're still walking in your flesh. You haven't grown. You're a spiritual stump. You're a spiritual midget. You, you, you drain. You take air out of the room because you haven't grown. You haven't come to a place where you trust God enough that he's really running your life. You'll never experience true joy and liberty until you, until you experience brokenness in him. Lord, I totally sell out to you. He said, entrust your soul to him. He controls your future, and he says, keep on doing good. It's interesting that he doesn't say keep on doing right. Stand with me. See, some of us will keep on doing right and be mad while we're doing it. Being right comes from your head, but doing good comes from your heart. And in order to do right that pleases God, you have to have a heart that is prompted by goodness. Keep on doing good. I know you're angry. I know it seems like they're winning. I know it doesn't seem fair. Keep on doing good because you are entrusting your future to God. You are in the will of God. But it's going to get bumpy. But you will land safely. One of my favorite movies growing up was The Karate Kid. You remember Daniel? How he kept getting beaten up by the bully. Some of you are too young to know about The Karate Kid. But the first one was really the best to me. And so he found out that there was this karate expert named Miyagi that lived somewhere near him. And so he went to this grand master karate instructor and he said, would you teach me karate so that I could protect myself and, and win at a tournament against the bullies? And Miyagi said, if you entrust yourself to me, if you listen to me, if you submit to me, he said, sure, I'll do it. He said, be here, and he had him get up like crazy hours in the morning, like four in the morning. <laughs> Teenager getting up at four in the morning. He was right there with his uniform on, and he was sweating pads, and instead he was given a bucket and a mop. <laughs> and he was told mop floors, wash windows, scrape bubble gum off the floor, jump over cans, pick up trash, 
uh, run up steps backwards, run up and forward, and do it 50 times. And he just, and at, at, at the end of this, over time, he said, this dude is just using me to clean his dirty house. In fact, it's the house not even dirty. I done cleaned it so many times, you can eat off the floor. He said, this is, this is ridiculous. It's worthless. I quit. And so he angrily went to Miyagi and said, why do you do this to me? I quit. I told you I want to deal with these bullies. He said, I quit. And just as he was preparing to quit, Miyagi flung something, in, I mean, something at a 90-mile-an-hour object at him. And he, somehow Daniel was able to jump, lift up his hands, and catch the object. And then Miyagi started throwing a, a series of karate blows, I mean, in rapid succession. And Daniel was able to block them. And he's trying to, well, how am I able to block these blows? And how am I able to catch this? And then Miyagi threw a kick, and he was able to jump over the kick. And then Miyagi pushed him, and he was able to use force against Miyagi, and he wasn't knocked over, and then he got it. All of that stuff that made no sense. All of those things that made you mad, everything that made you want to quit, stuff that you cussed about and, and argued about and complained about, God was using it to prepare you to defeat your enemy. My question for you today, are you prepared to grow through what you're going through? Because you will, you will be victorious. If you submit to the Lord while you're being tested. Somebody say amen. 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 Let's pray.